Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Coming up later on the show for our inbox, we have a girl who recently went through a breakup and felt like there was a lack of clarity from the guy when the relationship ended. He basically was like, hey, you're attractive and you have great character, but I'm just not really interested or I'm not feeling it. And so she's like, what? What do we do with that? All right, one of our counselors, Jenny Coffey, is going to weigh in. And then for our culture segment, counselor Deborah Faleda is back, a friend of Boundless, and she is a licensed professional. She's also the author of the new book, Reset, and is going to talk about uh, forming better habits and mindsets. What a great topic for the new year. And so if you're struggling to keep New Year's resolutions, or maybe you haven't even made any yet, or you know you need some life change this year, definitely tune in. All right, here we are for our roundtable. And because we are heading into the week that includes V-Day, some of us call it uh, Valentine's Day, some call it Singles Awareness Day, sad. Some call it, um, (laughs) I don't know what other monikers it has, but we figured it would be a great opportunity to talk about this, especially in light of the fact that also this week, We have a great article from Boundless founder Candace Waters on how to really redeem Valentine's Day as a single and use it for good. And so let's have a conversation about that with Georgia, Jesse, and John. Wow, that's a lot of... Yeah. Jesse and John here at the table. Welcome, you guys. All right. Well, let's talk about first up. We got to make it personal, put it on the table. How do you guys feel about Valentine's Day? Is it difficult for you? Did you forget that Valentine's Day was coming up until I mentioned it? Uh, do you not care either way? Where Where do you stand? I notice it when I go to the grocery store and you start to <laughs> see the candy section. That's when I honestly notice it. Yeah. For the most part, I wouldn't say that it necessarily bothers me as a single person. I mean, I appreciate it for what it is and think it's cool that... We have a holiday where we can celebrate special, a special someone, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it bothers me, mm-hmm. per se. Yeah, I don't think it bothers me anymore. In fact, I kind of think it's fun. I think it's a fun way to um, celebrate your family or celebrate with your gal pals. I don't really see it as a problem as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just another day for me, typically, you know. And I would say my wallet is normally happy around this time. So. <laughs> okay, so you don't get don't get ruled by it, don't get depressed by it. That's good. Yeah. I think for me too. Yeah, it's very. I actually am someone, and and listeners, longtime listeners of the show know that I tend to say that I love Valentine's Day because I do like um, just I don't know, just kind of the fun nature of it, and it's fun. Like for me, I feel like there are so many married people. I've said this before on the show who also who just hate Valentine's Day, like they feel so obligated, like, oh, am I going to have to get a reservation? What do I have to do? I have to up the ante. It's just like a big drag for a lot of people because they feel like, you know, to to your points, um, it can be expensive. It can be weird. It can be awkward. And so I feel like we're kind of all in the same boat. I mean, so it's like, okay, yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, But would you say 
I mean, when you have conversations around it, is there ever awkwardness? I mean, do you have, have you been in a situation where you've been single and your friends are dating and they're like going out with people or getting flowers at work or getting, or getting, I mean, it could be like Christmas. I always say it's like the end of the holiday trifecta for singles of like people saying, you know, well, do you have any special someone this time around? And then you're like, no, not again. And whatever. I don't know. Do you feel like sometimes you've been caught in some awkward conversations or situations? I don't feel like I have as much as it did in high school. I think everybody knows in high school we have the singing telegrams or whatever, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you kind of hope, fingers crossed, you get one, and then you don't, and then you feel sad. So I don't feel like I felt that way since high school, but I will say there were a couple times in college where friends of mine who would be dating would invite me to come do stuff with their beau on Valentine's Day. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. Thank you so much, but no. So yeah, I think that's the only awkward thing is when people try to include you in on that. It's like, no, I'd rather just make plans with some single people or some friends who aren't dating. I don't want to be a a third wheel, but thank you so much. (laughs) Well, Georgia, I don't want to brag, but I will. Um, So basically in high school, I got... (laughs) 14 carnation grams from the same guy um, from Clint Baker who played the trombone and he (laughs) was very intentional and awesome and gave me 14 and clearly our relationship didn't go anywhere but I just want to say that I still hang on to that memory because it was so exciting to get these carnations. Unfortunately (laughs) my crushes did not pull through that way. I don't know where he got the money for 14 carnation (laughs) grams but I appreciated it so just had to put in that little plug for Clint. Hey Clint wherever you are. So okay Jesse how about you? Not normally but when it does come up and someone says, hey, let me set you up with somebody. And it's like, okay, this is very random. I guess it's because it's Valentine's Day. And it's like, yeah, she's awesome. And then she's not. You're like, oh, I could have spent this day alone. So uh, <laughs> thanks for trying. Okay. All right, John. <laughs> Dig us out of this hole. Yeah. I don't know. What awkward conversations are you part of? Honestly, I find that it comes up more around Christmas time because my family is still in the Deep South area. And so that's usually when I go and visit family. So that's when I typically get the questions. Valentine's Day almost feels like it comes and then it goes very quickly. I did face some of that a little bit in college because when I had a lot of 20-something friends that I was around, some of them were going on dates and I didn't date much in college at all. So that's when it would come up some, but overall I'd say more around Christmas or New Year's when I'm just having conversations with friends. But typically around Valentine's Day, I'm thinking about the Super Bowl and thinking about <laughs> the, the start of the NASCAR season. So oh Valentine's goodness. Day just happens to be in the middle of that. <laughs> it just, you wait till after Valentine's Day and then you go back to the grocery store for the half-price candy, oh, right? Yes. That's your yeah. that's, the, that's the way to do it. <laughs> that's where the deals are. Stay thrifty. So. <laughs> Okay, well, what are some good ways for us to think about Valentine's Day and even celebrate Valentine's Day that aren't, like, too depressing but also aren't, like, super cavalier? (laughs) Like, let's just ignore that it happened. I mean, is there a way to kind of infuse some kind of positive elements or even love for, like you guys alluded to, family and friends and others around the day? Yeah, when I was a kid, my mom always made us Valentine's Day packages for each of me and my siblings. Mm. And so that has kind of carried on um, for me as an adult, where now that I've, you know, moved away, I take the opportunity to 
let my family members know that I care about them and that I love them and that I miss them. So I think that's a really great way to do that as a single that I don't have to feel depleted of love, quote unquote, just because I don't have a significant other. Um, I have a lot of things and I have a lot of people that bring love and joy to my life. So I think telling family members or telling my friends or my community group, letting them know um, how much they bring to my life. I think that's a great way to do that. Or Mm -hmm. just have like dinner with your gals too. Mm -hmm. I think that's also an uplifting thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm a big supporter of the Galentines. um, Oh yeah. Especially when you can make it multi-generational. So Mm -hmm. in recent years, I've had my elderly lady friends over and we'll like maybe, you know, mix up some drinks or have snacks, watch Mm -hmm. a movie, whatever. And it just becomes a really fun thing because they're always so cute. They always dress in pink and red and Mm -hmm. I just look lame in comparison generally, but I try to, you know, dress up a little bit. And then we, yeah, we just do something fun and it's a way of being inclusive and showing people that you care and and making them feel seen and heard which is really fun Mm -hmm. i think also kind of to george's point it's a wonderful opportunity to um, look out for family members and even do something as simple as sending an encouraging text message i remember about i think it was a year or so before my mom passed away she sent me a text on valentine's day a really encouraging text message Mm -hmm. and she included a verse from the book of Isaiah and the phrase, I think it was, I want to say it was from Isaiah 34. There was a phrase in this verse that said, none will lack its mate. Mm-hmm. And just saying, hey, I'm praying for your future spouse today. Mm-hmm. I later found out after my mom passed away that that verse was actually in her wedding vows to my dad. Aww. So um, that's really been kind of a special memory that has stuck with me ever since uh, she went home to be with the Lord. And so it's a good reminder to me that, hey, there are some people in our lives who maybe are feeling kind of lonely or maybe if they don't have a spouse, it can be a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out to them and just say, hey, thinking about you today. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I love telling family and friends how much I love them on Valentine's Day. It's funny because I'll call my sister and say, oh, I love you, you know, that type of thing. And then she just got married. And so, I was, and then I'll be like, tell your husband that I love him too. And he'll be like, please don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but like um, the elementary school I had uh, that I grew up in, whenever Valentine's Day would roll around, they wouldn't let us give cards to like that one particular person that we liked. We had, if you gave a card to one person, you had to give a card to everybody, mm-hmm. which kind of weird to me it feels like participation award of valentine's day <laughs> but i guess i never got out of that mode so <laughs> okay well, good point with that so what would you guys say i mean it's also a good opportunity aside from just recognizing a day and sending cards and all that kind of stuff which i'm making a mental note that oh yeah i have one other sister who's single and i usually send her a care package and i'm like i have need to get on that okay mm-hmm. that uh, is coming up pretty quickly here so anyway that said Um, what about just in general is good to reflect on around relationships? And is there any opportunity for you guys to think just a little more healthily about relationships or dating or any like good conversations maybe you can have with others kind of as you're moving into, um, this second trimester of the year? Such a good question. (laughs) I think something that I'm realizing more and more is that whether I'm single or whether I'm married, I should never stop striving to become who God wants me to be. And so that's really just kind of a perspective shift that I've started to adopt in more recent months is realizing, hey, 
always try to be working on yourself. I've mentioned in the past how I enjoy hiking in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working really hard in the gym to get ready for that. And honestly, I mean, regardless of what day or season it is, every day is an opportunity for special memories to be made. Mm -hmm. So just looking around and seeing, okay, hey, who can I bless today? Who can I pray for today? Get really just kind of getting out of my own head. (laughs) And that's when um, I think I start to be a lot more encouraged is Mm -hmm. when I look out for others around me and say, hey, who can I help today? Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. So as I was thinking about this, I I feel like for women, and honestly, you can blast me if you want, but whatever. I think a lot of times we man-hate on Valentine's Day. Mm. I think it's this culmination of like, I'm single and I can't believe men won't just man up and ask us out. And I can't believe, and just like basically hating on all men. And I'm just like, I don't think that we need to do that. You know, I think there's other reasons for singleness and it's not just because men won't man up. Um, So I think just kind of reminding yourself to not take your singleness during Valentine's Day as an opportunity to bash on the opposite sex, um, but just really take the opportunity to kind of look at yourself and see how you can use your gifts and talents to glorify the Lord and not just for attracting a mate and also not taking that time just to gossip and um, say words that are hurtful. Even if it's not in front of the men, it's like you're still speaking ill of God's creation. And I know that there it, it can be kind of like hard as a single woman because you do feel those things, but it's like, is that helpful? Is that harmful? Is that hateful? Mm-hmm. You know, just thinking about those things. Well, and it almost makes me think like also it's an opportunity to not bash married couples. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think of like, oh, well, you know, they're just lucky they're still together or, you know, they shouldn't have gotten married in the first place or they're, you know, they've got a weird relationship oh, or wow. whatever. And it's almost <laughs> like out of, out of envy, we can start saying things or they're so out of touch, you know, and, and again, to that point where I talked about my married friends, they all think Valentine's Day is awkward. It might be a fun time to do like a game night or yeah. bring you know people again of different ages and stages together and just do something fun and kind of use it as an opportunity to be like hey let's all you know celebrate um certainly the love that we have in our friendship as well as the love that we have from christ himself and Mm so it's a good reminder yeah i think so too because a lot of people who are single on valentine's day tend to get wrapped up in themselves Mm -hmm. and the whole purpose of valentine's day is about the other person anyway it's not about you (laughs) it's the love you have for that person so if you can do that with family and friends go for it Mm -hmm. that's good all right well that said if between now and this coming week you manage (laughs) to get a date or you ask someone (laughs) out or whatever everyone give what is your ideal like if you could craft the ideal valentine's date especially and you could say whether it was a first date or if it was someone you knew or whatever what just sounds fun everyone come up with their best idea (laughs) georgia clearly you have like many i was gonna say i personally would not want to do a first through fifth date on for valentine's like no offense but if we've only just met that's a lot of pressure i feel like to have the day of love and Mm -hmm. you're like 
So I guess if I had to go on a Valentine's Day and a very nice man asked me out, <laughs> I, I whose name you apparently don't know. Okay. Whose name is mm, don't matter. And but if they did, I suppose you know a nice dinner or ice skating could be fun or rollerblading since it can be pretty chilly in February. And like I've said in the past, I think you know early on dates it's just nice to do something that's fun that's not always just like we're sitting and eating again Mm -hmm. i think something kind of different and keeping it not so lovey-dovey i guess because i i wouldn't want valentine's day to become this like big pressure thing if it's like your first or third or fifth (laughs) then it's like are we about to date and I don't want that to be the case. Yeah, to that point, that's probably a good, like, don't do this. Like, don't ask someone out on a first date and have it be on Valentine's no. Day. Right. I would kind say of avoid. Weird. avoid. Yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. Pressure. That just kind of makes you look like you don't even know what's going on. Yeah. So that's yeah. just, I don't know, that's weird. How about you, John? We have a place here in Colorado Springs called the Broadmoor Hotel, Mm -hmm. which is a very, very nice place to walk around and look at a lot of Western art. Mm -hmm. So I think that'd be a really fun place. It's a little on the fancy side, but I'm a huge fan of walking around a place that's just really pretty or even an outdoor park. Mm -hmm. So some of the best conversations I've ever had have been just on walks. So I really, something casual along those lines, I think would be a lot of fun. But I would want to ask her, what is it you want would be a big thing because that would definitely influence the decision. Because if it's something I want to do that she wouldn't be interested in, then then I'll put my idea to the back burner. (laughs) And you do have to put some specifics around that because you don't want to ask a girl out and be like, so let's go to this hotel. Um, you've got to give some more detail yeah. around right, that. Right, for sure. That could get around, weird. Look at the art, and then we grab a bite to eat. <laughs> exactly. So, but that's cool. I have done that, uh, the tour, the art tour and stuff. It's very pretty. It is very interesting. A lot of stuff. Okay, Jesse. Yeah, I probably would say dinner. But whatever she wants, I would pay for it, obviously. Good for you. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, just make her feel special. And then if there's anything she wants to do after that, I would make sure that I asked and not just assume, you know. Yeah, that's very good. So, yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of what would be fun. Because, again, February up here in the northern part of the world is cold. And so it very, is kind of a little yeah. difficult to come up uh, with something. I'm glad, John, you didn't say something like hike a mountain or go ice climbing right. or something. I'm <laughs> like, no one wants to do that. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, yeah. no one wants to be all out there freezing and stuff. The so. roller skating sounded pretty good. Yeah, though. I like roller skating. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. <laughs> roller derby. Out- <laughs> <laughs> joking, I'm joking. Right to Georgia in care of Boundless. <laughs> we'll see if we could get her a roller skating uh, date at some point. So, <laughs> But not on Valentine's Day. Yeah, exactly. So, well, awesome. And uh, yeah, these are good thoughts, you guys, I think, and good ideas. And of course, just helping us all and hopefully you listening maintain that perspective of what it means to recognize that this is just a day, y'all. We're not uh, tied to it in any way. And quite frankly, don't just wait for Valentine's Day to love other people, Mm -hmm. invite other people, include other people, reach out to John's point about sending a quick text. Maybe you could send someone a snail mail card invest that whole stamp in them um Mm -hmm. that's a great opportunity to do that as well and uh yeah and just ping someone just because and that's a great opportunity to to do that and be relational and uh and have fun with it so thanks you guys for weighing in on this thanks for having us thank you lisa 
Well, folks, um, we are back this week and next week, actually. We decided to make this a two-parter with our longtime Boundless friend, Deborah Faleda. Many of you know her um, because she's been on the show a number of times. She's a licensed professional counselor. Uh, she runs truelovedates.com, and she also hosts uh, Love and Relationships, that podcast, and really just is is such a fun friend of Boundless and of me and uh, has just written books. I mean, I feel like now just about every book that she's written, we've talked about here at Boundless because it's not often that um, someone has something to say that's always so applicable to us, but because her wheelhouse is relationships, um, it sure is with Deborah. So Deborah, welcome back to the show. Happy 2023. Thank you, Lisa. It's always so fun to get to chat with you and hang out. Well, it is pretty great. So last time you were here in person, which was awesome, um, but this time because of schedules, we're just having to grab you remotely. But that's good um, because we wanted to make sure that we were talking about your newest book, which is titled Reset, uh, Powerful Habits to Own Your Thoughts, Understand Your Feelings, and Change Your Life. And uh, it's so great that we're in February here, the middle of February, and uh, this is kind of the season where every Everyone who had high hopes about unattainable goals and resolutions has already dashed all of those. And so now they're like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to Deborah and maybe get some insight as to what I really should be doing. Um, so this is great. I feel like there are so many of your books where, whether from personal experience or whether from um, experience that you've had professionally through counseling and whatnot, you're coming up with these topics and saying, hey, we might need to speak into that, this. Is that the case? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny that you mentioned this is right about that time <laughs> where New Year's resolutions kind of start to die out mm -hmm. and the enthusiasm that you had going into the year about change and growth is kind of on the back burner. And I think there's a reason why. And if we can get to some of those roots that we're going to talk about today, hopefully it can help us get to a better place by the end of the year. Yeah. Well, I like how you say in the book, I mean, one of the first things you say is that, you know, if you don't think you have something to change, you're probably a pretty unhealthy person. So um, yeah, I don't know many you. people like you that. You can't think of something. To yeah. Change. Yeah. I mean, there are the, you know, if you're listening and you have, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or whatever, you know, then maybe not. But the most of us <laughs> I find are like, okay, yeah, there's, there's so much wrong with me. Where do I even start? I keep failing in this 
this and that, you know, even, even Paul in scripture, you know, said, he, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. So we can, yeah. we're in good company with that. But you, you actually make the point that people tend to focus on the wrong things when they talk about change. Yeah. Like they think, well, I need to change all of this, you know, this uh, thing about me, this pattern I have, this habit I have, everything on the external. Why, why would you say, why are you saying that focusing on changing behaviors and habits is kind of that bad, wrong cart before the horse approach? Yeah. I mean, we've all tried it that way. And we see time and time again that trying to change our behavior with just modifying the external falls short. You know, like you you want to lose weight, so you go and clean out your pantry and you join the gym. But then within a few months, all of a sudden, the snacks are sneaking back in. You're not motivated to go to the gym. So that external change can only take us so far in any area of our life. You know, maybe you feel like you're too busy and you've just got to start setting more boundaries. So you get your schedule and you start clearing stuff up and calling people and canceling things. But then in a couple months, that behavior starts to creep back in because change has to start from the inside out. I mean, at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is our thoughts are the number one thing that's impacting what we do because our thoughts impact our feelings, which then impact our behavior. So if we're just starting with the behavior piece, we're going to keep getting caught in this same cycles. And so that's why I really believe that true change has to happen from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So give us an example, because I think people are scratching their heads because they're, they're looking at all these externals in their life that they feel need to change, but they don't understand how to do this track back that you're talking about. So, you know, because you brought up the example of like overeating and wanting to clean out the pantry, get rid of the snacks, which, you know, 90% of us have already done twice this year. Um, what Give an example of like what an underlying issue would be around that and how someone starts tracing it back to identify that that is manifesting itself in overeating or eating the wrong things? Yeah. So the way that I have written Reset is kind of to map out 31 practices that help you dig a little bit deeper to get to some of those roots. And for example, one of the practices is to start taking ownership of your thoughts. You know, what is happening underneath the surface when I'm feeling like, I I just want to go to the pantry, grab something to eat. Maybe you're feeling stressed out and there's a feeling there. And we actually do some work on those feelings. But even before the feeling, maybe there's a thought that says something like, I've had a really crazy day and I deserve this. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the thought is, I'm just so overwhelmed and I don't know what else to do. So this is going to make me feel a little bit better. And so understanding that we've got these thought patterns and cycles that kind of keep us stuck is so important because otherwise we're just doing that exterior work. One, one story you might have read, Lisa, when you were looking through Reset, when in college I had a lemon of a car. It was like a disaster. <laughs> and it was one of those cars that would just always break down in some way, shape, or form. And I remember one morning I had finals. It was the middle of winter. It was like in the teens, degrees outside, and I had finals. And I'm running late to finals. I jump in the car. I put the key in. All of a sudden, the windows roll down, and the alarm starts blaring. And I couldn't get them back up, and I couldn't get the alarm to turn off. And I had to drive to finals in the winter 
with my windows rolled down and my alarm blaring because of this lemon of a car. I eventually took it in to the mechanic, and it turns out this car actually had some wires crossed. I had a friend who'd worked on it, and he'd messed up some things underneath the surface. But, but I think sometimes we tackle change as if we could take duct tape and just roll up those windows and tape them back up or just get some sort of a pillow to muffle that alarm and assume that the car is fixed. That's what we do when it comes to change. We, we're just doing these external things without really getting to the roots of, okay, what are the thoughts that are happening here? What, what, are, what are those thoughts causing me to feel? And then what am I doing as a result of some of those feelings? And so it's a journey, and, and I don't think it's an easy journey, but it's one that I think once we begin the process, we start to get the hang of what it really looks like to go deeper. Okay. Well, and that's good to know, and I want you to make a distinction because um, one of the other things you talk about, which people might um, might confuse with what you're saying there, is you actually talk about there is value in, in taking a pause. In fact, you say most of these processes, you need to start with a pause, but we don't want to confuse that with take a pause and just put a pillow on your situation and try to muffle it. You're talking about a healthier pause that's going to allow you to more get perspective on the situation and bring God into it. Explain what you actually mean by that. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that we don't change is because we don't fully see our need to change because we are living in go, 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 go mode. Mm -hmm. We distract ourselves. We try to disguise the problem. We ignore it. And we just keep ourselves busy so that we don't have to worry about it. When there's an issue, it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep myself busy. But we're never going to change unless we actually stop and pause and listen. Like, what is God challenging me to change? What is he speaking to me? What are the patterns that keep coming up in my life? If you don't actually take the time to pause from the external noise, as well as what's going on on the inside, that internal dialogue that we have sometimes, there's no hope of healing if we don't pause and get on the same page with God and what he wants us to actually heal. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good. And that's where I think a lot of people will think that, okay, well, you know, me pausing is just stuffing everything or stifling the noise or staying busy. And so but sometimes pausing can actually be a hard exercise because we're on this treadmill. We think that so many people depend on us. We think that we have to be doing and performing. And so as a result, the things that are most important are being eaten up by the things that are urgent. And as a result, we don't really solve the urgent things the or we don't right. solve the most important things. Yeah, we might not even be aware of what they are because yeah. we don't take time to pay attention until everything breaks down. Yeah. Okay, so here's another reason why we don't want to pause, and that is because the, the minute we pause and we start asking God to reveal things uh, about our situation is we start churning up some of the junk <laughs> that is um, that is part of really where we are and what's happening. And you're saying that, you know, you, you actually talk pretty extensively in Reset about owning your junk. 
and about what it looks like to actually realize that, okay, some changes have to be made. You have to acknowledge them. You have to decide that you're going to do something about them. But how do we actually like take ownership of that? Because I think it is very easy and very culturally acceptable to point fingers at our circumstances, our environments, other people. Um, How do we identify really the stuff that we have power to change versus just maybe boundaries we have to have in place related to other things? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when it comes to owning our junk, I think you said it, it's, it is easier to look at what other people are doing. But what's interesting about that is we have way less control when we're looking at what everybody else is doing because we can't control their behavior. We can't control their interactions. We can't control their habits. So, sure, we can identify the A, B, C, D things that people need to change. That doesn't mean they're going to change them. The only thing we actually have control over is our stuff, our response, our reactions, our habits, the things we're bringing to the table. And I think Scripture is clear. Like, Jesus knows this is a struggle because he says, like, before you take the splinter out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own eye first so that you can see clearly. And I think we don't view life that way. We don't really believe we've got a log in our eye. We've got a plank in our eye. You know, we we see everybody else's flaws, but we're not objectively looking at what we're bringing to the table and how we act and interact and respond to people. And one practice that I think is really important to do is to almost see your life like you're watching a movie, like play back your day or your week and and look at the interactions you've had with people. Look at how they react to you. Uh, Look at the emails that you've sent from an objective perspective. Look at the habits that you engage in when you get home from work after a long day or when nobody's watching. I mean, watch your life objectively like a movie And start to look at it through that lens of, okay, if I was watching this movie, what would I tell that character that they could change or work on or grow in? Because otherwise our eyes aren't even open to the things that we need to work on in our own life. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and in this, I mean, so that that is so good. And sometimes we'll we'll look at stuff and we'll realize something or we'll, you know, again, that objective perspective is so good. But you kind of use that to move into the conversation around community and the importance of community and specifically asking for help. And so I'd love for you to talk about, I know you did a, um, and you talk about it a little bit in, in Reset, about a survey that you did on why people even find it hard to ask for help. And of course, we all know that's true because we all hate doing yeah. that. And we all wonder why other people don't ask for help, but then we don't do it for ourselves. What were some of the recurring themes that you found um, in particular with people's struggles around this? Interestingly enough, it all kind of boiled down to one main theme in different forms, and that was fear. You know, whether it's fear of rejection whether it's fear that somebody's going to judge them, whether it's a fear that they're going to be disappointed or let down, uh, almost always the answer had to do with fear. Like we're afraid to ask because of what it might say about us and what it might reveal and, and what happens if people don't come through when we ask. And I think it's interesting because so many of us are afraid to be needy. And I know I've worked with a lot of people as a counselor who grow up in a family where maybe there was, dysfunction or maybe their parents were distracted or maybe there was some neglect or or life was just so busy 
that they kind of grew up understanding that they have to kind of meet their own needs or else their needs aren't going to get met. And many times we take that false belief into relationships and we feel like we shouldn't be needy, like our needs are wrong or bad. I should just deal with it myself. But that prevents us from having true intimacy with people because part of true intimacy is learning to really understand what we need and trust people with those needs and express those needs and and trust God with those needs as well, rather than just to have the mentality that we just have to do it all on our own. Life is not a one-player game. And I think the sooner we can grasp that, the healthier we will become. Yeah, that's so good. And I found that in my own life, it's very, you know, because God has gifted us in different ways. And we often talk about this, or I've heard it talked about by pastors in terms of like sin struggles. You know, we always look, we always think that the worst sins are the ones that we don't struggle with, you know, but then our own, we always downplay or make excuses and and whatnot. And I think that's so true. We realize that there are a lot of things that we struggle with or things that are hard for us or habits that were, you know, patterns we're stuck in where that other person who can help lift us out and can help move us towards change and, you know, working with one another's strengths is a great way to be the body of Christ and to give one another encouragement for the the lack that we have or the deficits that we have. Yeah, and and I think we've created a culture because of social media partly because of social media, partly because of our own pride, where we just want to show everyone around us the best of us Mm. and the thought of being vulnerable and actually saying, listen, I'm struggling in this area and I need help. You know, that's a hard pill to swallow for many of us because we're not accustomed to that. We're accustomed to the filter of pretending that we've got it all together, pretending we're doing fine in every area. And I know people who live in a specific struggle or sin for years because they were never able to be authentic about it and go to someone for help. And I'm just saying, this is the year for us to break some of those patterns and norms and just become authentic with who we are and what God is doing. God knows we're not perfect. Everybody else knows we're not perfect. It's time for us to just get real with that and be honest about it so that we can begin the process of healing rather than just holding it all in. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to determine, I mean, as you're saying that, it's making me think of just, you know, conversations I've had with friends and even some of my own struggles. Is there a point where you have to come to the realization of, do I really have the want to? Like, do I have the motivation? I think a lot of people pay lip service to like, yeah, I kind of want to change this. I want to do that. But really, they don't want to do what's necessary to do it. How do you know that you're really in a position to say, it's time and I need to go after this. And now I need to start building up my network around me. The sad reality is that many people don't get to that point until something really bad happens, you know, where they hit a really low point and they're like, man, like this is bad. If I don't change, I'm going to lose something. But I also think that God is kind of beginning to open our eyes, especially in this generation, about, like, it doesn't have to get to that point for you to change. Like, you can start pursuing an abundant life before something awful happens, before there's a major consequence to your decisions and behavior. And so I think what really sets apart the people who want to change from the ones who don't aren't their will, because we all have a will. Like, we all want to change. 
but it's not really your will. It's not about the power of your will, but about the power of your practices, the things that you consistently choose to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And so I'm hoping that as you read through Reset, you'll start to realize, man, it's not just about wanting to change. It's actually about having a plan and following a plan and being consistent in that plan because that's really what's going to set you apart from the people who actually make change in their life and the people who don't. Yeah, so true. It's funny because I was just talking with a friend the other day about – you know, goals for the new year. And and I love goals. I love talking about goals. I love making goals. I love checking things off lists. And, you know, of course, I have my goals that are very attainable. So I feel like I have accomplishment. (laughs) And then I have the really hard ones that I'm like, is this on my list again this year? How did it end up here? (laughs) Um, But it's funny, because I said, I told her that one of the things for this year, if I cut everything else out, is do finally doing something about my phone, you know, and it's, it's hold on me and the digital. I mean, I don't know how many shows at boundless we've done about this, but I feel like it's legion and I'm like, okay, you know, this, this being a slave to notifications, to being available all the time, to training my friends and family that I will respond to a text within five minutes. And so as I looked at what that looks like, exactly what you're saying with these habits, it was so fascinating for me to say Okay, like this actually means like I'm going to have to physically turn off my phone for some seasons because I don't think I have it in me to just say, oh, I just heard that ping, but I'm going to ignore it. And so what does it look like for me to start breaking some of the strongholds, you know, that especially in certain times throughout the week, you know, my phone is especially Mm -hmm. present. And so, yeah, so it's interesting. So one of the things I'm going to try doing, which is pretty extreme, is I'm going to have my phone off all day Sunday. Um, I think that's a good start. And I think why I say a good start is because the next question then is like, why? Like, why is there a draw here? Why is there a pull? Why is it hard to set boundaries? What do I believe my role is in people's lives? What does it mean to me when I'm not in that role? And where did that role develop? I mean, you know what I mean? The questions, once the phone is off, you actually have time to answer some of those deeper questions. Mm -hmm. And those are the deeper questions that actually make the pull of the phone less and less and less as we kind of heal from some of that deeper stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I just, as as I told you before we started taping, I just got back from vacation and having that little taste of freedom where I told myself I was going to have the phone off and I wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to check work, wasn't going to do any of that. And all of a sudden I come back from vacation and I'm like, that was so amazing. How can I put a little bit of that into my normal life, my normal week? And so, um, yeah, so it's something that I'm going to have to build into uh, my week and, and make happen. So, well, cool. Well, we are going to continue this conversation next week. And uh, for those of you who are listening, you know, sorry, you have to wait a week. Uh, those of you who binge this show, you're probably listening and you can just hop to the next one. But here's the thing. Next week, we are going to talk more about owning your thoughts. We touched on it a little bit, but also feelings, how feelings play into this. And then also when we need to question our emotions, what it looks, you know, what are the role of emotions uh, in our situation in our life? And then also what does it mean to do appropriate self-care so that you have the opportunity and you have the ability um, and the wherewithal to be able to, to grow and to model after Jesus? 
this. And so we are going to continue this conversation next week. So please hang with us. Um, In the meantime, we want you to know that this book from Deborah, we've been talking about it, Reset Powerful Habits to Own Your Thoughts, Understand Your Feelings and Change Your Life, um, is available from us here at Boundless this week for a gift of any amount. So just go to boundless.org, search for 784. Uh, This is actually a pre-order. This book is not quite out yet, but we're going to make it available for you as soon as it is. And so uh, just click on that, give a gift to Boundless, and we will send a copy of Reset as our thank you to you. So Deborah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's make it count. Let's make it worth The battle is ahead. And we need to face it. No turning back. No more quitting yet. It's time. All right, everyone. Well, we're finishing out the show and opening up our inbox, and we have got Counselor Jenny Coffee here. Hey, Jenny. Hello, hello. Hello. Okay, um, you are in this week for a relationship slash non-relationship question, so we need your advice for this one. Um, Our listener says, I recently went through a breakup where there was a lack of clarity and closure, and it's caused a lot of confusion and many questions. We were dating for the purpose of marriage and talking about starting pre-engagement classes at our church, but then I was blindsided by him breaking up with me. During the breakup, he said, I'm physically attracted to you. You have the character and values I desire in a wife, but I think the romantic aspect of our relationship is missing. My question is, when considering marriage to someone, what's the role and importance of romance and chemistry versus character and values? Mm -hmm. I think anytime you ask a question with the verses, that's probably going to be a hard place to start because you're basically saying this or that, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that that's probably not the heart of what uh, she was asking, but it's kind of like, okay, well, are are you able to have this at the expense of this? And it's Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. One of the things I will say is obviously in marriage, there's going to be a much higher, hopefully inside that covenant value put on, you know, we're in this for like the long haul, Mm because there's going to be those ebbs and flows where maybe the romance isn't there like it used to be, or even periods of time where people say, I'm just not attracted to them the way I used to be. But that commitment and covenant's been made. And the point is, is like, we've created this life together. We're going to continue to move in that direction and take steps that need to be taken in order to re-engage maybe some of those areas. Here, the thing that's difficult is even though she was kind of left in this place of thinking they were moving towards that direction, as hard as it is, this is the time for him to do something like that mm-hmm. because they're not in that committed relationship yet. So it's difficult and it's hard because it's like, hey, I thought we were moving in that direction. And and arguably, she didn't use this word, but I would say the word, it sounds like courting, having that intention in mind. But really, that's kind of what this whole process is for is to say, do I hate the word check or the phrase checking the boxes, but it's like, does this person and I mesh in all of these different ways because while character and values is great you want to be with somebody where there's chemistry and fun and laughter and romance and those types of things and conversely 
you can't just be with someone who makes you laugh all the time and have nothing in common with them foundationally or philosophically. So it's not an either or, Mm -hmm. but there is definitely a place and a need for it in marriage. And unfortunately for this situation, that is the purpose of dating is figuring out what that looks like. Yeah. I think it's also interesting and, you know, you can let me know if you agree, but important to note too, that this isn't even really like her issue. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like she's making it her issue. It's Mm -hmm. just like, literally, it's just this guy who's saying this, I'm not into this. And this is, and again, as you said, because they are dating, that is totally his right. I mean, no one is forced to date anyone, you know, hopefully. So she has to hold that loosely. Now, if someone is saying like, I'm physically attracted to you, and you're great, and you're whatever, even though it's entirely their right to say no, I'm going to call it off. I mean, it is I would say, you know, bear in mind, folks, you know, this is why I always say, go out with someone a few times mm-hmm. or date, you know, don't just say like, oh my goodness, this didn't show up like the latest rom-com. And right. so it's not going to work. That said, you can't force it. And you can't, you certainly are not responsible for his reaction or the way right. he's taking this or the way that he's backing off. I think really it's, yeah, it's not her decision to make. And she has to just reconcile to the fact that maybe it's a good thing that it's not working out if, if it would be a constant battle on that front. And I'm definitely all for like, dating with intentionality and purpose. Mm -hmm. I think people need to be cautious, not necessarily careful, but cautious about slapping labels like pre-engagement or purpose of marriage onto it without allowing dating to really be what it is, which is we are investigating to see if not only is this what God has for us, but what does that look like if we follow and go down that road? And so I think sometimes unfortunately, in the Christian community, that can kind of be slapped on early. Mm -hmm. And then it leaves both people in this place of feeling as though there's nowhere to go. I would, I'm glad that she found this out now and not 10 years from now, Mm -hmm. when, you know, they both feel stuck in a relationship that they're maybe not happy. And so it's one of those difficult situations where there's no absolute right answer, but allowing dating to be what it is without it becoming this frivolous, non-intentional process either, because it's not about one or the other. No, that's great. And I mean, I think you would say, Jenny, being married, that, you know, marriage is a lot of like hanging out together. So you have to enjoy like being with this person. You can't just look at an algorithm and be like, well, our character lines up and our values and I'm physically attracted to you. No, I mean, you're going to have to like being around this Mm -hmm. person. So Mm -hmm. there's a a lot of pretty people I don't want to be around. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, like we all have that at times. And so and to his, you know, in in with his context, it might be one of those things where he's seeking this type of like unending romance that she can't totally fulfill. And he might not be ready for a marriage relationship until he kind of gets some of that figured out too. So to your point, like you said, it's don't put it all on her. Like she can't take all of this on and thinking that this was something she did wrong. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for weighing in on that, for your insight. Um, Great question as we head Mm -hmm. into a week that includes Valentine's Day, y'all. So hopefully this will give you some encouragement on that front. Uh, In the meantime... While you are doing that, we would love it if at The Boundless Show you would show us some love by hopping over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review, those of you that love the show. Um, it's always fun for us to go on there and read them. Sometimes we're able to share them, even with uh, our leadership here at Focus on the Family, which is always an encouragement. And so do plan on doing that if you haven't done so already, right over at Apple Podcasts. And I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. 
The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. 